The gentle falling of snow is a digital illusion, but the welcome is very real. We are welcome in this place. Please stand and join in the responsive call to worship. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We have come into this place and gathered in your name to worship you. Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Amen.
Amen. Before you're seated, take a minute and greet those around you and welcome them to the house of the Lord this morning. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We are glad that you've decided to worship with us this morning. I want to just call your attention to a few of the bulletin announcements here. Um, uh, first of all, you'll notice that there are no activities this evening. And this coming Wednesday night, we will resume our regular Wednesday evening activities. Uh, Boom Club, King's Kids Club, and Boys Club, and the adult prayer uh, group will meet as well. Uh, Next Sunday evening, small groups begin meeting. You see there's an insert on the small groups in your bulletin. Um, I just want to call your attention to that. We would love to have you be a part of our, uh, of our small group ministry. If you're not already a part of a small group ministry and you would like to be, uh, you can. there are phone numbers listed for each of the groups. You can call the leaders or you can call the church office. But uh, let me just encourage you to check out the different small groups that we have and uh, see about uh, getting involved in that ministry. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns listed as well. Uh, you can see those listed in your bulletin, and I just want to encourage you to add these people to your, your prayer list. And I also just want to call your attention to the rose on the pulpit. This celebrates the birth of Drake Elliott Hannon to parents Drew and Heather and Sister Piper. I'm Hudson Hess. My wife is down there in the congregation. Many of you know us. Uh, we have been missionaries uh, since, to Haiti since 1964. And in all of those years, the Houghton Church has backed us in prayer and support. And I just want to say from the bottom of our hearts how much we love you and how much we appreciate you. And more than ever before, we've feel that we need your prayers and support. This past year, uh, I figure about eight of our stalwart uh, prayer warriors have been moved on to glory. And uh, next week, Lucy and I intend to return to Haiti for a few weeks. We will be going in, well, we'll be leaving here uh, next Sunday afternoon. And we'll be returning the 10th of March, uh, the Lord willing. Uh, this is a very important trip because we're turning over more and more of the responsibility to the National Church. The National Church has, has grown and matured in so many ways. And uh, we're just thrilled with what's happening. The other thing that we really are looking forward to is to contacting those that uh, through the years the Lord has enabled us to disciple. Back in uh, 1994, just as an example, uh, seven little guys were out there throwing 
stones into our mango tree. Went out and corralled them and found out that they had not, uh, they had, they were hungry. Some of them had no parents. They weren't going to school. We made a deal with them. If they didn't throw stones in our mango tree, and if they would come on Saturday for a time of singing and studying the Bible, we would send them to school. But as long as they passed, we would continue to do that. Uh, If they flunked, that would be over. Seven little guys, all of them went through primary school. About four of them went through secondary school. Two of them went on to university. And one of them uh, uh, was just a a thrill to us, was Billy Joseph. At eight years old, he told me that he wanted to be a medical doctor. He had no parents. And he graduated in July of last year. He's now back in Haiti where he wants to practice medicine. We want to get in touch with him when we're over there, find out if there's any way we can help him, maybe uh, be contact some missionary doctors to help mentor him. The other young man was uh, uh, Wadner Termidor. He went to university also. He speaks English fluently today and has been helping with teams that come into Haiti. Um, Medical teams and work teams. He's made many trips to Port-au-Prince. In the course of his many travels, he met a young young female doctor. And uh, to make a long story short, they're getting married on the 10th of February. He, can, he considers me his dad since he, his, his own father died when he was a little boy. And he wants me to perform the wedding. The thing that really thrills me is that uh, we discussed the possibility of uh, me joining the team from Western New York when they're in Haiti uh, in February. Well, it, that didn't work out. They're not going to be there till May. But uh, I just discussed this with Wadner, and he said he'd be glad to take my place if he's invited. So we'll just leave it at that. And uh, when we get back in March, I hope to be able to give you a report of some of the things that God has done for us. Thank you so very much. I know I can speak for the missions committee when I say we're so grateful to uh, Hudson and uh, for their faithful service there in Haiti. And uh, I also wanted to make you aware of this opportunity coming up. Our district is building this relationship uh, in Haiti, and we've sent already one team, and we have another team going this May that Hudson was just speaking about. And this team, there are spaces available for you if you are interested and being a part of this team. And what they're going to do, they're going to work uh, at the same church that we were at last time, a Wesleyan church in Susmatla. And we're building a relationship with that church in an attempt to try to help them get back on their feet uh, from the, uh, the damage that was done during the earthquake. And you could be a part of that team. The district is looking for people to go. Uh, the deadline for registration is February 1st, and you can find the application and all the information that you need on the church or the district website, which is wnydistrict.com. And so there's, there's everything you need to know there. But we'd love to have you go and be a part of that trip. 
if, you, if you'd like more information, just want to chat with me, I'd be happy to give you more information. But uh, again, love to have you do that. So thank you. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. I want to invite you at this time to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray this prayer of confession together in unison this morning. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our sin and pride hide the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. In your mercy, cleanse us of our sin and baptize us once again with your spirit that, forgiven and renewed, we may show forth your glory shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
to invite the ushers forward at this time to receive our morning tithes and offerings and children ages two to five may be dismissed for children's church please remain standing for the doxology As we go into our time of prayer this morning, I simply want to invite you, if you would like, to come and use the altar as your place of prayer, if there are particular things that you would like to uh, bring to the Lord and uh, do so at the altar, we invite you to do that, or feel free to uh, pray in your seat as well.
Father, we offer you our praise today. You are God, and apart from you, there is no Savior. When we consider your works, we can't help but praise you. And when we consider ourselves in light of your holiness and majesty, we recognize ourselves for the sinners that we are. And so we pray this morning that you would have mercy on us according to your unfailing love. We confess our sins to you this morning and seek your forgiveness. We ask that you set us free from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in Christ. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and pour your love into our hearts. We want to thank you for the mercy and forgiveness we find in you. And we thank you that through Christ Jesus, you have given us entrance to your throne of grace. So today we come humbly and gratefully into your presence, Lord. You've blessed us in more ways than we can count. Thank you for your faithfulness and for the peace and the joy that we find in you. We thank you for your help in our times of need. And Father, there are many with needs here this morning. We ask that you would draw them close to you, encourage their hearts, assure them that you are more than able to meet their need, whatever it may be. Father, we pray for those with physical needs and for those recovering from illness or surgery. Lynn Perry, Hannah Jennings, Bill Roski, Wayne and Bonnie Macbeth, Michelle Bauer, Emily Crickler, Judy Gudekunst, Candy Wells, John and Mary McCormick, Clarence Wagenblatt, Louis Case, Doug Miller and his family. And for all those among us not listed in the bulletin, but with physical needs nonetheless, we pray, O oh Lord, for your healing touch for these. Father, we pray for those with other needs here this morning. We pray that you would encourage those who are weak, comfort those who are hurting. Bind up the brokenhearted and draw near to those whose hope may be failing. We pray for our supported missionaries around the world. We thank you for their work and the ministry they have in various places where they serve. We pray that you would supply all of their needs and daily make them aware of your presence with them. We pray especially for Hudson and Lucy Hess as they return to Haiti. We pray for your blessings on their ministry there and for all those with whom they're working. And we think of the District Haiti team. And we ask for your blessing and your help as they prepare to go. We pray that, that you would make them a, a blessing to your church. Father, as we look at our world, we see violence everywhere. We ask that you would bring an end to the violence 
that you would bring peace to the nations of the world. We pray that you would reveal yourself as the Prince of Peace, the only hope for the world and for humankind. Father, we thank you that you have the whole world in your hand. We see the nations of the world rage, but we know they do so in vain because nothing escapes your eye or extends beyond your control. Lord, soon we'll have elections in this country. And we just pray for your hand in the midst of those elections. We each may have our preferences for who should be elected. But remind us, Lord, that as Christians, our ultimate allegiance is to you and to you alone. May your will be done, we pray. Father, I ask that you would raise up your church and make us a light to those around us. Keep us walking in daily victory with you so that our lives will be a testimony to others of your faithfulness. And for all of these things, Lord, we'll give you thanks, praying together the prayer our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. New Testament reading is the 10th chapter of Acts. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his soldiers who was a devout man. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, 
kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, 
but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us in singing. All I once held dear built my life upon All this world reveals and wars to own All I once thought gain I have counted lost Spent and worthless now compared to
Please pray with me this morning. Speak to us, O Lord, we pray. May your Holy Spirit impress on our hearts and in our minds the depth of your love for us and for all people. Give us ears to hear your word this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. What would you do for $20? What would you do for $20? This question was posed in a movie that I watched this week, so I got curious. I typed this question into Google just to see what would come up. And I have to tell you, people will do some really bizarre things for $20. One guy got an eyebrow shaved off for $20. Another guy licked the bugs off the fender of a truck for $20. What would you do for $20? Would you scrub a toilet for it? Would you wash the church van for it? We might be able to work out a deal. Would you sing a song to a stranger for it? What would you do for $20? How far would you be willing to drive for it? Would you go to Olean? Would you drive to Cuba? Fillmore? Now, would you do those same things for a penny? What would you do for a penny? Most of us wouldn't do much for a penny. It's just not worth that much. The most frugal among us might possibly bother to stoop and pick up a penny if it's right in front of us on our path, uh, but we probably wouldn't go out of our way to go find a penny. In fact, pennies can be kind of a hassle. They can be... uh, you know, kind of a problem sometimes. You have to collect an awful lot of pennies and find a place to put them for just a little bit of value in return. It's a, it's a lot of work for just a little bit in return. Most of us like $20 bills. We don't much like pennies that much. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that when it comes to money. But all too often, we treat people like that. There are people around us that we see as $20 people, and there are people around us that we see as not much more than pennies. Who are the $20 people in your lives? Who are the people that you see as valuable, people you want to be around, people who are worth your time and effort to get to know and interact with? Who are the penny people in your lives? Those people who really aren't worth much to you. Those you won't go out of your way to get to know or interact with. Those you just don't really want to bother with because they might mess up your neatly ordered Christian life. In this story of Peter and Cornelius recorded here in Acts 10 and 11, we learn along with Peter that in God's eyes, there are no penny people. Peter was a Jew And most Jews thought of themselves as God's special chosen people. All others were outside the covenant, beyond the scope of God's love and care. At worst, they were viewed as enemies of God. And at best, 
They were viewed as, as God-fearers, non-Jews hoping for a little mercy and grace along the way, uh, however grudgingly given and however limited their access to that. So Peter didn't fully understand that from the very beginning, God chose Israel to be his people so that in this world, there would be a group of people who knew God and could make him known to the rest of the world. Peter and most Jews didn't understand that they were to be his witnesses to the world. It's true that that we look at the Old Testament and we see the law, and and it's true that God put in place certain restrictions, and he told them to come out and be separate from the world. But Israel's separateness wasn't because they were better than other nations or because God favored them more. It was so that other nations could see what God is like and know how vastly different the Lord is from the gods that they served. God stepped in and said to Israel, I'm making you my $20 people so that you can show the rest of the world who I am and how much I value my creation. I want you, Israel, to let the nations of the world all know I want them to be $20 people too. But Israel sorely missed God's plan and most interpreted as if God had said, I'm making you my $20 people, my special favored ones, and all other nations are just penny people to me. They wanted to view God sort of as their own private deity. And so Peter and the other Jewish Christians at that time still didn't really understand that Christ had died to save all people everywhere, not just the Jewish people. But here in Acts 10 and 11, we see things beginning to change. We see God taking the initiative to drive this point home. This issue was so important to God that he sent an angel to this centurion named Cornelius, and he spoke to Peter in a strong vision. An angel appeared to Cornelius, who was a God-fearer, a Gentile who respected the Jews and did his best to, to follow God and keep the law. The angel told Cornelius to send for Peter, who was staying in the home of Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. The scriptures don't tell us why he was Tanner, but I'm guessing it's because he lived by the sea and got a lot of sun. Okay, sorry. I couldn't resist my poor attempt at humor. A Tanner was someone who worked with leather. And as such, they were often looked down upon by Jews because they handled the skins of dead animals, making them unclean, according to the Jewish law. So the fact that Peter was willing in the first place to stay with Simon the Tanner must mean that God was already at work in his heart in some way, breaking down his prejudices and and preparing him for this encounter with Cornelius. Then, while the men who were sent by Cornelius were on their way to get Peter, God gave Peter a vision. Peter had gotten hungry while he was praying, and while his lunch was being made, the scripture says he fell into a trance. Verses 11 to 15 say, he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. 
The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Well, this happened three times, and while Peter was still thinking about this vision, the men sent by Cornelius arrived and asked for him. At first, Peter didn't know they had come since he was on the roof praying, but verses 19 and 20 tell us that the Holy Spirit told him they were there. Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Did you catch that? For I have sent them. These men had come from Cornelius, but this whole event was directed by the Holy Spirit. Here again, we see God's divine initiative at work. So Peter went with these men, and when he arrived, he found a large group of Gentiles there waiting for him because Cornelius had gone and invited all of his close friends and relatives. Well, Peter said to Cornelius, you, you are well aware that it is against the law for, uh, against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And after Cornelius explains why he sent for Peter, Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter then goes on to share the gospel message, peace through Jesus Christ, portraying the crucified and risen Jesus as both the savior of the world and the judge of all people everywhere. He is Lord of all, not just the Jews or Jewish Christians. And the scripture tells us that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, those penny people. God had to do a mighty work to break through Peter's long-held and, and probably subconscious prejudices. He was more than likely blind to them, and even more so with those Jewish Christians who had come with him. But God opened their eyes, and he made it clear that he loved these Gentiles, these outsiders. In love, he broke down the barriers that prevented them from having access to the gospel. You know, for as long as anyone can remember, people have used God as a way to draw lines between us and them. And as human beings, we just love to imagine that, that God is on our side of the line. It puffs us up. It adds weight to our lives. And it's pretty easy to justify scorning, mistreating, or neglecting those on the other side of that line if God is on our side of the line. Time and again throughout history, God has made a point of crossing these lines and letting his people know of his love for outsiders. Time and again, God has fairly shouted his desire to save all who would come to him. Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Gentile widow, the widow of Zarephath and Sidon, the heart of Baal worship in, in, Elijah, in Elijah's time. Naaman, the Syrian general who had leprosy. All of these are examples of God reaching out to outsiders. 
The birth of Jesus was announced by angels, not to the religious elite, but to outsiders, unclean shepherds living in the fields. And the magi, those foreign stargazers, uh, they came from another country and they worshiped the Christ child. These us and them lines were all over the place in the Roman world of the New Testament. There were lines between Jew and Gentile, between men and women, between slave and free, between Roman citizen and everyone else. Jesus crossed these lines freely and regularly. He interacted with Samaritans and Romans, tax collectors and sinners. That is in part what got him killed. The world today still loves its us and them God lines, doesn't it? Just take a look at the paper or just watch the news. Sunnis and Shias are back to blowing each other up in Iraq. Christians and Muslims war with each other in places like Nigeria or just a few years ago, the Balkans. Jews and Arabs shoot at each other and lob rockets across their borders in the Holy Land. Protestants and Catholics have been shooting each other in Ireland for many years. And the list could go on. And it's all done in the name of God. But let's come closer to home. What about the church here in America? We draw God lines too, don't we? How many times have we seen churches become narrow and private, internally focused and unwelcoming of anyone that's different from them? sort of like elite spiritual clubs for like-minded people. What about us right here in Houghton? What us and them lines have we drawn? What us and them lines do we draw as a church, as a community? What barriers to the gospel have we put up that God in his love would have us tear down? Are there barriers we've put up between us here in Houghton and people in surrounding communities, Fillmore, Belfast, Ormel, or other towns? Are there race barriers, gender barriers, intellectual barriers, social uh, economic barriers? Maybe there are age barriers or, or talent barriers. Do we have some of these barriers right here within Houghton itself? Or consider these scenarios. How would we respond if a family of a different race moved in next door? Would we be tempted to move to another neighborhood? How would we respond if a a physically dirty person sat next to us in church? A person who clearly hadn't showered and, and whose clothes hadn't been washed in a while. How would we respond? How would we respond if we learned that a registered sex offender was worshiping among us? Are we willing to open our lives to the messy lives of other people in order to share the love of Christ with them? Or do we draw our lines and put up our barriers? You know, it's very possible that we could be blind to our barriers, the barriers that we put up, the lines that we've drawn. After all, it's, it's a normal, necessary part of life to have parameters, to have boundaries in place. We all have certain boundaries, certain parameters within which we live. Boundaries are actually good. They're not a bad thing. 
And particularly in the cultural climate in which we live, we in the church have to be careful to honor and respect God-given boundaries. Far too many in the church today have sacrificed biblical truth in the name of tolerance. Far too many in the church today have attempted to tear down God-established parameters, gutting the heart of the gospel in an attempt to be inclusive. The Christian faith, by its very nature, is an exclusive faith. You can't just believe anything you want and still be a Christian. After all, sin is still sin. And Jesus was very clear in the Gospel of John when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Miroslav Volf says of Jesus, he was no prophet of inclusion for whom the chief virtue was acceptance and the cardinal vice intolerance. Instead, he was the bringer of grace who not only scandalously included anyone in the fellowship of open commensality, but made the intolerant demand of repentance and the condescending offer of forgiveness. So we have to acknowledge and accept the fact that the gospel itself will be a barrier to some people, namely those who refuse to accept the lordship of Christ and his offer of forgiveness that Peter proclaimed to Cornelius and his relatives. But the offer of salvation through faith in Christ is not exclusive. It's open to anyone and everyone, and anyone and everyone who accepts that offer of salvation will indeed be saved. Most of us know this. We know that God doesn't show favoritism. We know that God is no respecter of persons. Yet still we draw our lines. Like the Pharisees of old, we hang on tight to our notions that, that we're somehow favored by God above others. So we draw lines and we put up barriers. Why do we do this? Well, a few possible reasons come to mind. Perhaps fear. We don't want our children to be contaminated by, by all that's wrong in the world. If we can control who's in and who's out, we can make the rules and call the shots. We imagine we can create and live in, in sort of a bubble of purity and control just how much sin we allow into our lives. And we certainly don't want to allow the church to become impure by letting in people with messy lives or misguided theology or ideas that challenge our notions of what God is like. Fear is a reason that we put up our barriers or draw our lines. Or maybe just busyness. Maybe just busyness. Our lives are too busy to cross the lines between us and them. We're already doing lots of good things, mostly for the Lord. And because we're so busy serving him, we simply don't have the time or the energy to reach out to them. Busyness. Or for some, it may just be an issue of fairness. We want grace to be fair. And we don't like the fact that God loves those people who don't love him back. That's not fair. It's not fair that sinners should be in the in-group after all they've done, when we've remained faithful the whole time, 
We can be an awful lot like the older brother in the prodigal son story, can't we? Well, thankfully, the very good news for all of us is that grace isn't fair. That's good news. What if Peter hadn't listened to the Holy Spirit? What if he had never gone to Cornelius' house and shared the gospel message? What if Peter and the other apostles had kept the good news to themselves, keeping it solely for the Jews? The world would be a very different place, to be sure. Christianity would most likely be very small in number, probably confined to to the Middle East, and you and I wouldn't be worshiping the Lord in this sanctuary today. We, We may well have been out sacrificing an animal under a tree or something today. I don't know. The point is, it's good news for all of us that grace isn't fair because we too were once outsiders. We too were once on the wrong side of the line. We too were once penny people. We too were once objects of wrath without God and without hope in the world, condemned to die for our sins. You and I are here this morning because God broke down the barriers between Jew and Gentile in the days of the early church. We are living proof that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Several years ago, I heard Jay Strack, an evangelist, tell of going to a maximum security prison to have a church service with inmates there. And he said that he had prepared a light message that day, a little encouragement from the scriptures, but not really much more. And he felt like it had gone pretty well, actually. But as the prisoners left the service that day, he noticed that several of the inmates had been sitting in chairs that had been covered with black cloth. Well, he hadn't noticed it until then, and he was curious about it, and so he asked about it. Those were the inmates who were on death row, condemned to die, he was told. And Jay Strack said, I was stunned. I had no idea, and I started to get angry that no one had told me that they would be there because I would have shared the good news more readily and more clearly. But then he said, as I thought about it, this truth hit me square in the eyes. Apart from Christ, every one of us is on death row, condemned to die for our sins. God shows no favoritism. He is no respecter of persons. Apart from Christ, we are all condemned to die for our sins. Both the good and bad among us, both the rich and the poor among us, both the smart and the simple among us. But the good news for all of us is that God is in the business of breaking down barriers to the gospel. He wants every person, whether us or them, to have access to the gospel and to be saved through Christ. There are no penny people in God's economy. Michael Linval, pastor of Brick Presbyterian Church in New York City, tells of meeting a remarkable man on a trip to Israel. The man's name is Elias Shakur. Uh, Elias Shakur describes himself as a Palestinian Arab Christian Israeli, and he's an archbishop in the Melkite Catholic Church. His life has been all about crossing us and them lines. At the time Linval met him, he was running a school and a college in a place called Ibelim. 
And Linval says, the school was remarkable because it's the only educational institution in the entire state of Israel where Christian students, Jewish students, Muslim students, and Druze students study side by side. Father Shakur said his school had to be this way because the God he worships loves Christians. The God he worships loves Muslims, loves Jews, loves the Druze. The God he worships loves agnostics, loves atheists, loves Arabs and Israelis and Americans. God loves them all. Linval goes on to describe an evening conversation as they talked on Father Shakur's uh, rooftop overlooking the hills of Western Galilee. He says, he told us that people in his part of the world often ask each other the question, what were you born? He said, it's a big question there and you're supposed to answer, I was born a Melkite Christian or I was born a Shia or an Israeli or a Lebanese. But Father Shakur said that when people ask him this question, he always answers the same way. He always says, I was born a baby. He told us that, and then he laughed and laughed, laughed till tears came. That's kind of the point, isn't it? God loves all the babies. He shows no favoritism. He wants all people to have access to the peace that is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you and me as Christians, as his people, to be the bearers of that good news. So as we pray this morning, I invite you to ask the Lord this question. Have any of my personal parameters become barriers to the gospel? And I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to open your eyes and show you what in your life might be a barrier to the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in your love and grace, you broke down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles so that we might be included in your kingdom. Open our eyes to those things in our lives that obscure you and keep others from seeing you in us. Help us discern those parameters in our lives that might actually be barriers to the gospel. We ask that you would fill our lives with love for you and love for others and enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to love all of those people you place in our path for the sake of your name. 
Amen. I want to invite you to take your hymnal and turn to hymn 59. And stand with me as we sing our closing hymn this morning. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen.